Good morning, DFW. In my objective to keep you in the know about important community developments, my update for you today is on the proposed and pivotal $1 billion 2024 capital bond program for Dallas. Key areas like homelessness, parks and trails, streets, economic development, flood control, and critical facilities are all on the radar. For those unfamiliar, a capital bond program is a structured plan using part of the city's property tax revenue to fund projects over time. While projects may take years to launch due to logistics like land acquisition and design, they're vital for our city's growth. Between October and November 2023, the Budget and Management Services will set the tone for all of these initiatives. As we discuss solutions, today I spotlight a model from our Texan neighbor, San Antonio, the Haven for Hope. It was regarded as one of the most ambitious civic projects that the city has ever undertaken to eradicate the homelessness issue, but they did it. This comprehensive facility addresses homelessness holistically from shelter to social services all under one roof. Remarkably, they've achieved a 77% reduction in homelessness. I'm thrilled to offer an exclusive behind the scenes look at the Haven for Hope in San Antonio, along with a conversation with the CEO of Haven for Hope, Kim Jeffries, Terry Belling, Director of Communications, and Alberto Rodriguez, the Vice President of Transformational Operations. This may well be the blueprint Dallas needs to craft a potent response to homelessness. It is my hope that we learn, adapt, and grow together. I thoroughly treasured my time in San Antonio. I hope you do too. This is like a college campus. It is. It's 22 acres. Yep. Um, with over like 500,000 square feet of interior space. Well, and you have a Y here. Yes. I didn't know that. It's our child care center. So it's well, yeah, the I know child care center, child center that's yeah. co-located in a homeless shelter in the country. I love the Y. Yeah. They're a great partner. What's what's cool about it is on the back side of the Owl Street, it's open to the community. So it's free for our the children who are, yeah. you know are staying the right. go, but then it's open to the community, so they're integrated. So that's another key to success. We're in the poorest zip code of San Antonio, so the community having access to all of those services as well. And so that's why they're outside the gates of our campus. They're, they're our community-facing part. And only about 40% of the clients they see are, are haven clients. The other 60% are from the community. How many kids do you, are you all able to, to have as part of the Early Childhood Development Program? I want to say, I think there are 100 and, I think it's like right around 100. Because um, I think last check, we have about 50% of them about are ours, and then the others are from the community. Okay. But we have... 350 kids on campus. Right. Mm -hmm. So we work with all of the school districts to make sure kids can stay enrolled in whatever school they were in before they came here. Oh my we're at gosh. 380 kids, give or take 380 right now. kids. 
290 that are school well, seating, school transportation. And oftentimes we'll hear wonderful. from clients, um, the children, after they leave, the kids are like, when are we going back? So since we've started, uh, since Haven started in 2010, our per capita homeless population has decreased by 30%. So got it. Like overall, the downtown homelessness, it was like immediate overnight. It was like a 77% reduction. Uh, so it was smaller at the beginning and it's gotten obviously larger as it went on. Uh, it's 43,000 and change that we've served since Haven opened in 2010. So 43,000 people have come through. Um, Close to 18,000 of those have been permanently housed or, you know, moved on to higher levels of residential care, um, that kind of stuff. Haven for Hope provided so many resources as far as continued counseling, which I needed. I got into the treatment center that was here and it greatly changed my life. Ten month mark, the former Payet Ford executive director just asked me if I would be interested in becoming employed by Pay It Forward. On April the 1st, I celebrated five years with Pay It Forward, um, and our board also voted for me to become the new Chief Executive Officer of Pay It Forward San Antonio. I love this model. So first, it's finding the land. Mm -hmm. The city donated it, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Secondly, how much is spent per year operationally? What is it? Is it 20 million? Oh, close to 30. Close to 30. So 28 million annually. So we get about 60% of our funding comes from government. Uh -huh. So local, um, state, or federal government. Mm -hmm. And then the other 40% we have to raise. So we have to raise about $10 million a year from the community just to keep you do operations. But huh. our United Way gives us funds. That's right. Our founder's company does a huge auction that raises like $2 million for us every year. So that so you have some guaranteed income. We have some guaranteed income sources from okay. you know third party events and those kind of things that help reduce that amount mm -hmm. that we have to raise. Three things: the scale. Uh -huh. I think the scale of it, um, for a few reasons. One, you can accommodate a lot of people, but also um, you're bringing together other partners, you know, on a large scale, and so they can access lots of people to achieve their own individual mission. So I think the scale of it is um, is important in kind of the model. Yes. The co-location of services is key. So having, eliminating barriers to entry uh -huh. and then access. So like the kennel, that's a barrier yeah. to entry. People don't want to come in without uh, their pups. Last year we had like, yeah. yeah, it's true. And we had too. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what you said too. Uh, and so barriers to entry or like couples rooms. We opened couples rooms last summer because men without children would have to separate and they didn't want to come in. So what are those barriers to entry? And then what are those barriers to accessing services? I mean, when you can have medical, dental, vision, um, inpatient treatment services, sober living services, counseling, mental health services, uh, housing navigation services, workforce development services, so GED classes, ID recovery, parent training, you know, all of these things in one place, SNAP benefits, you can enroll here, you know, all of those things in one place, you're not having to 
take a bus here and then take a bus here and take a bus here to get to all those appointments. It's all yeah. right here. And so what's, what's unique about it is people learn. You said it's kind of like a college campus. Yeah. It's like a small town. It is. And so people learn how to re-navigate community mm -hmm. and reintegrate into community before they go back out into these, this large city and they take those relationships with them. So I think the co-location of services, um, the design. I think the third thing is having the two options um, to meet clients where they're at. So on the north side of our campus is um, what you you know what you see as you know the college campus where the children are, um, where all of those things are. And so on on this side, um, there are requirements for um, sobriety. You, you know you have to be sober while you're on our campus. Um, you have to have an ID, you have to be a resident of our community, and you have to be engaged in a person-centered income and housing plan. So you have some requirements. But then we have the other side, the south side of campus, the courtyard side, where there's no ID requirement, no sobriety requirement, yeah. nothing. So you have, you can meet people where they're at. That's right. And so I think without those two, yeah. we'd be turning people away on either side if we only have yeah. one or the other. And so I think those, those, that's the last kind of component that I think is crucial in the design. Um, but the courtyard's also a little bit different, so it kind of serves as a safety net for anyone experiencing homelessness. Uh, yeah. So individuals get to come in, not necessarily engage with services, yeah. and then they receive the services that they need, the nights that they need, they move back out into the community, and we don't see them again um, until, again, something happens. They get kicked out of the place they were staying at, they come back for another days. So it, it's a little different from your traditional kind of shelter services for courtyard plans. That's why I think we see smaller engagement. Um, but again, it's it's the services are there for everyone. So they take advantage of that. Um, but we don't necessarily track where they're going to either because it is low barrier. You can come in and out. You're not required to meet with your case manager and yeah. tell us where you're going. That's incredible. no time restraint either so we have some clients who are here for years wow and some clients who That's are here for years that then decide like they may decide they do want to get help or they get on that med that they need for their mental health and we've had several instances of that in the last couple of years where it's like wow you know they've been here five years and not accessed anything and now they are and so that's a huge success it's not just getting people housed but it's somebody taking that first step to transform their lives we celebrate all of those achievements and we've identified over the years gaps in the system because of the scale of haven and so an example is um, people who are trying to get into the local mental health authority here yeah. in our community it takes three to four months sometimes to see a psychiatrist. Well, if you're on medication and you know from jail or the hospital, you only have a few days worth of meds. So we have a bridge psychiatric care program that's telemedicine, and so they can immediately get their medication done and shipped to them here and bridge that time until they can get into the local mental health authority. And so that's huge. That's huge for our clients because then they're not decompensating. Of course, and, you know. Yep getting in a different headspace when they're waiting for that appointment, just because it's, those services and those systems are, are overrun. Um, the other thing is, you know, 
we're willing to always work with communities. Our, you know, our founder made a commitment in the state of Texas in particular that we would help anybody who wanted yes. to um, yes. and help them figure it out, whatever that looked like. Um, and so we're happy to, to help them have those kind of detailed conversations with whomever. That's right. It's interesting because there's a couple communities, so um, Wichita, Kansas is trying to replicate this, mm -hmm. but they're doing it, as Terry was talking, outside of town. So they're doing it outside of town. So That's we'll, interesting. We'll see how that pans out. So we're watching that one. Yeah, because there's no dart or public transportation there, yeah. I presume. I presume, yeah. Yes. Which, yeah. Hospitals, <laughs> jail. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how much but they have a philanthropist who has mm -hmm. money and um, land that they're willing to donate. And so I think they're, they're going that route. And then you have Las Vegas who's trying to figure out how to do this model. Um, I think they're going to do more of a split model, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about Las Vegas and they're in Um But they're trying to take these principles and, and integrate them into their homeless response system. They just got, they, we worked with them significantly over the last few months, and they just got $100 million from their state legislature to do this if the private sector raises $75 million. And so they're going to have $175 million to kind of put a model like this together. Okay. 20% of the staff at Haven for Hope have lived experience and we have found that that really helps our clients to understand if they're sitting across from someone who says, I'm exactly where you were yes. two years ago, Huge. but look at me now. And so that really helps and it helps for them to understand what our clients are going through mm -hmm. and to walk them through their journey. So it's, it's been a huge part of why I think we're successful. Every situation is going to be different and yeah. the housing plans for people, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you want housing on your own, your housing plan might be reuniting with your family. That's right. So that's why exactly. we sit down with each and every yes. client and there's not a formula that they have to go through. We're going to work with them on whatever goals they have. And so many times people look at somebody on the side of the road or, you know, in an encampment or wherever and like, it's a us versus them. Yep. And then so like until we really start to see Absolutely. each other as humans and see our face in the face that's right. And that being here in this environment, yeah. it's like you immediately are like, wow, like without my support network, and if I would have had any of this trauma, it's like right. this would be me. That's exactly like this is me. Right. And so exactly you get to a point right. where you're like, this is me. Yeah. And then you then you engage in the solution. And yeah. so until we can get people to be like, that's me standing on the corner, that's right. It's gonna be hard for them to really engage in solutions. Yeah. And so it's we need people like you yeah. <laughs> who can help yeah. engage in the solutions. And whenever the media says, you know, is there anything you'd like to add, I always say treat people with compassion. That's right. You don't know what their story that's is, you right. don't know their situation. I know yeah. you're driving by them and you see them and you think, oh, they're lazy or go get a job, but something has yeah. happened to them mm -hmm. and they have a story and we should all be wanting to make it better for them. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this certainly paints a really good picture for me, at least in ways that I can help inform, help inform <laughs> and advice. Yeah, yeah, because it's, um, 
it's a very successful business model. Thank you for accompanying me to San Antonio today. By uniting our insights, we can uncover impactful solutions for our community. The concise recap you saw today only touched the surface of our several hour long comprehensive discussion and tour. We deeply appreciate the warm and insightful hospitality extended to us by the Haven for Hope. And for our third segment, we are highlighting a special coffee house in East Dallas, slightly east of White Rock Lake, named Well-Grounded Coffee Community. The coffee was not only fantastic and some of the best I've had in a long time, but they managed to give motivated individuals who are barely surviving life a second chance. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. I'll see you next Sunday. to this East Dallas gem was its noble mission, which is transforming lives through work, education, community, and faith. I'm Natalie Heschek, and my husband and I founded the Dignity Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. We're sitting at well-grounded coffee communities. So hopefully when you walked in, this place you could feel that it was warm, yes. cozy, yes. safe. Yes. All very intentional. And they collaborate with other businesses to offer formerly incarcerated women a pathway to a brighter future. We have to be a, a legitimate coffee house That's right. business That's right. that makes money so uh -huh. we can pay their paychecks and help get them to a living wage, yep. which is harder and harder in Dallas, exactly. right? And we basically function as case managers and mentors. So you're doing it both at the same time and it's, it's just one day at a time. Learn something new every day and what it really takes to help someone's life transform. I just pinch myself that I get to do this every day, to be a part of just transformation. Her words reminded me that aiding others with similar challenges often reinforces our reasons for personal healing and the dedication needed to reshape our own lives. The fact that you have an answer to that problem, this is a solution, is really special. I love Well Grounded because of the opportunities they give to marginalized individuals and um, the coffee is incredible. It's the best latte in the neighborhood. It's the best place. The reason why I love Well Grounded is because it helps support our community. I believe one of the most critical steps in changing our lives is ensuring that we surround ourselves with people work and environments that breathe light into our lives to continue down the path of positivity. Right now, um, there are, as far as second chances, we're walking with seven specific families. It's incredible. And then we have uh, barista mentors. But, you know, it's funny, I always say we're all second chances. Yeah. So the lines are very mingled. That's right. But as far as out of transitional homes, specifically seven right now, and in the three years, 15, it feels like home. Feels like home. You've done an incredible oh, job for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Oh, absolutely. And and as you know, uh, you know, people come in here and say, "Why are you doing such a good thing?" It's not that at all. Me getting to do this every day is what pulls me out of my own darkness. Exactly. Yes. Yep.
This place is a gift to our community and I hope you all make it out to the White Rock Lake area to treat yourself and breathe in some positivity.